What is a gap? A gap is a place of weakness, a place of pain, a place of hurt in our world today. There are many gaps. A prodigal child, an unfaithful spouse, an addict out of control, gang and violence and poverty. What happens when Christians stand up and fill that gap? God shows up. Well, good morning. Good morning. May the Lord bless you this morning. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive and well. I spoke to him this morning. He's not dead. The tomb is empty. He's not on the cross. Come on now. I'm so glad to be back here again. Uh, I was here four years ago. How many of you were here four years ago when you saw me? Amen. How many of you have never seen me before in your life? Raise your hand. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Amen. Well, I am uh, Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim is a good friend of mine. And uh, we're buddies. We're co-laborers in the kingdom of God. And I pastor church in Chicago in the hood of Humble Park. And uh, my wife and I pastor there. And so we're excited that you're here. And if this is your first time, your first time in a part of you, we want you to feel at home. We want to welcome those that are watching at New Linux and Homer Glenn. Let's give them a hand there too, also being a part of this. We're glad that you have come to one of our campuses here. And by the way, I'm going to be your new associate pastor here at Parkview. I just wanted to see if somebody would leave any of the campuses. Amen. No, I'm just joking. I just want to, I know how people get scared when the Hispanics start coming. By the way, you should know that Hispanic means, you know what Hispanic means, right? Hispanic means, here's what Hispanic means. That we are his and we're going to bring panic to this nation. Amen. <laughs> we belong to the Lord. Amen. Well, the last time I was here, uh, things have changed for me. My family has gotten bigger. Well, this is my wife, Elizabeth. That hasn't changed. Praise the Lord. Uh, she still loves me and I love her. We're 31 years married uh, this past June. Amen. 31 years, she was 12 years old, and I was 14 when I asked her out to be my girlfriend. And obviously, we didn't date until she was 17, and I was 19. And, uh, and we started dating, and five years later, we got married, and praise the Lord there in Chicago, in Humble Park, and married the pastor's daughter. That was kind of strange and weird. And, uh, and since then, where our tribe has grown, we've got three kids. Let me show you my tribe. This is my tribe. My wife and I, we've got two beautiful daughters. As a matter of fact, my youngest daughter's birthday's today. I'm here with you all. I'll be meeting with her later. But So I've got two girls and my son. All of them are married and they're out of the house. Glory to God. <laughs> I'm not this Hispanic father that wants their kids to stay with them. No, no. You all got to leave. I want my girlfriend back. Amen. The Bible says they're like an arrow in the quiver. I shot that bad boy. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go. Anyway, and so all my three kids, they love the Lord. They're serving God. They're involved in ministry in Chicago. And that's the greatest legacy I can leave on planet earth is that my three kids love Jesus. Come on. Amen. Now, let me, let me just help. You guys need to help me out because in Chicago when I preach, the people talk back to me. They say amen. And so when I go like this, I want you guys to say amen. amen. Thank you. Just let me feel a little bit at home every time I go. Over. Amen. Oh, you guys are awesome learners. Amen. You're not discouraged by the rain, the lightning. You came to church to worship the Lord. 
I'm a grandfather. How many are grandparents here today? Raise your hand. Yes. Isn't it a beautiful ministry? I tell people that God should have given us the grandchildren first. And maybe the kids later. But here's my granddaughter. This is my oldest granddaughter, Charlie Grace. She's three years old. And she has, uh, she's just messed us up. <laughs> my wife, you know, my wife and my daughter, her mom, they were going to a woman's breakfast, whatever it was. And I said, I'll take Charlie. I'll take Charlie. I took Charlie out for breakfast. And then I, I took her to one of those baby stores, a baby bath. and Bye-bye, ba baby. Bye-bye, baby. I said, Charlie, let's go to Bye-bye, baby. And we went there to the store. And $500 later, <laughs> I'm like, the devil, amen. My wife said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. She was just pointing at everything. I started grabbing and putting it in the cart. So she's three years old. This is my youngest granddaughter is Reagan Liv. She is Reagan. And she just turned one years old. And boy, oh my God, these two girls, they just mess us up. We love being grandparents. We love spoiling them. I tell Charlie, I tell Ray, what does your mother say you can't do? You could do it at Papa's home. <laughs> this is a no Papa zone. You do whatever y'all want to do. My wife and I got our first grandson last month. This is my grandson, uh, James Anthony. He's one month. And we're just, my wife, listen, we're living in the more of God. Do you hear me? God has more for your life. And I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but God's not done with you. There's no ceiling with God. He wants you to step into the more. And we're celebrating here at Parkview and in all of our campuses, we're celebrating this, this teen Parkview to get involved, to get engaged, to do something. I'm a firm believer that God saves you so that you can get involved. He doesn't save you so that you can sit at that chair for the next 15 years and do nothing for his kingdom. No, you, he wants you to be engaged, whether it be children's ministry, youth ministry, parking, do something. God saves you to do that. I'm a firm believer. I got saved at the age of 14 years old. Now, you need to know that uh, I am the youngest of six in my family. The youngest of six. My father abandoned my mother when I was eight years old. And I lived in the worst park in the United States. In the 1970s, Humble Park was declared the worst park in the United States. That's where I lived with no father, no Jesus, no future. Failed third grade because I couldn't read or write. I was destined for destruction, no doubt. As a matter of fact, according to sociologists, I am what you would call a status inconsistency. A status inconsistency. I shouldn't be here in Orland Park. I shouldn't be preaching to Parkview. I should be somewhere in Chicago in prison, dead or in drugs, whatever. But I shouldn't be here. But God, God has a way of using unusual people. Regardless of your past, regardless of your lineage, God has a way of using your life if you just walk through those doors and obey. Obey the Lord. So it was at the age of 14 years old that I got saved. I went to an evangelical church in Chicago and, and I got saved. And that church went to a youth convention for the young people. And we got into vans in Chicago, and we headed towards Michigan. And it was in Michigan at a, at a hotel where a preacher was preaching. And he made and he said, how many of you all want Jesus? And I said, I do. I got saved again. I got saved many times in my life. How many know what I'm talking about? I just want Jesus to be a part of all my life. 
I wanted to make sure that every heart, every part of my heart belongs to God. And as the preacher preached and, and I came to the altar because I was praying, I was new to the church thing. I didn't have Jesus. I just, I was new to this. And I was praying. I was kneeling down at the altar and a lady comes by and she puts her hands on my shoulder. And she says these words to me, Parkview. She says, I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now today at 54, I know that that is a covenant that God made with Abraham. But at 14, I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I'm going to be a leader. And I remember getting up from the altar and that thing resonated with me, what the lady was saying. I was thinking about it. And I went into the elevator to go to the floor where my room was at. And I was thinking about what the lady said. And, and as the doors were closing, a gentleman comes in in a suit. And as the doors close, he looks towards me and he says, have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now I'm thinking maybe this is the husband of the lady that was at the altar. <laughs> One thing for sure, I didn't sign up for this. I'm 14 years old. I just wanted the doors to open from the elevators so I can run. But little did I know, church, that God was marking me. That God uses unusual people to do amazing things. So I don't know if your son is a knucklehead right now and your daughter's acting like a knucklehead, but God uses unusual people. You see, at 14, afterwards, they gave me that word. I went back to the local church and I, I got involved with the youth ministry there of that local church. Four years later, thereabouts, the pastor said, Choco, I want you to be the Sunday school teacher for the young people. And I said, Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry? That's what the lady said. And that's what the guy said in the elevator I was going to become, a leader. And I said, I'll do it. And I got my black jacket with my black tie, y'all. And I was a Sunday school teacher for the youth ministry. Sure, there was only five young people, but still, I was a leader. <laughs> that's what the lady said. And I thought I reached my peak. A few years later, the pastor comes to me and says, Choco, I want you to be the Sunday school superintendent. I said, Sunday school superintendent? That's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator. Sure, there was only 68 people in the local church, but I got my black jacket and my black tie. And I was Sunday school superintendent. Because that's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator. Well, finally, I married the daughter, Elizabeth, my wife. And, and my, my father-in-law said, Choco, can you drive me to, uh, to this convention? I'm going with ministers of the Midwest, 11 states in our union. Can you drive me there? And as I was driving, he says, by the way, they're going to do an election for the youth president, a youth president that would oversee 100 churches in the Midwest. You should put your name. I said, no, I'm the Sunday school superintendent. <laughs> he says, don't worry about it. There's a lot of people running. Just put your name. The night came. The first guy grabbed his mic and he says, my name is so-and-so. I have a bachelor's degree from Evangel University. I've been in youth ministry, yada, 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 yada. He gives the mic to the guy in the middle. He says, my name is so-and-so. I've been involved in youth ministry, giving their resume, yada, yada, yada. I got a bachelor's degree from CBC, Central Bible College, yada, yada, yada. 
give the mic to Choco. My name is Choco, and I'm Sunday school superintendent. <laughs> like the devil, I don't know why I did this. My father-in-law, he just... Well, would you believe that the pastors came back and they voted unanimously for me to be the president of 11 states of youth ministry? I called my wife Elizabeth. I said, babe, I am the president of 11 states for youth ministry. And she says, what do you got to do? I said, I don't know. I just, I just walked through. <laughs> and this is the problem with the churches in America today. Not you all. Not you all. You guys are very religious people. But the other churches in America, the problem with many churches today is that they try to understand God. And God doesn't ask you to understand him. He asks you to obey him. Because understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. And when you and I serve God and God saved us from this mess of our life, he saves us so that we can give our gifts and our talents to be used. I mean, I got involved in puppet ministry in my church. I was terrible. But I did it because they needed puppeteers. And there I was. My girls were in the front. They were young, five years old and three. And I'd be like, hi, boys and girls. My name is, and there was a delay. There was like a five-second delay. My girls got home from, from children's ministry. They're like, pop, don't do that again. I mean, I did whatever it was. I didn't need to pray about this. God saved me. And here's the thing you need to learn about us Hispanics. That we're all in for the kingdom of God. 1998 comes. The year is 1998. My father-in-law comes to me and says, Choco, I'm going to retire. And I want you to be the pastor of this church. I said, no. I said, I'm going to be a state trooper. I just took the exam to be a police officer for the state of Illinois. And I'm going to be a state trooper. And I want to carry my gun. I want to be an usher of the church. I want to collect offering." And motivate the people and show them my gun so they can give. <laughs> I don't know how you all collect offering here in Olin Park, but we're like, hey, come on, come on, give, give, give. <laughs> Stop playing around. I said, no, I'm not going to be the pastor. Furthermore, your daughter doesn't want to marry a pastor, and I don't want to be a pastor. He says, well, pray about it. I said, no, there's nothing to pray about. <laughs> well, the year's 1999. I go back to my father-in-law, and I said, okay. I'll leave my name in under one condition, that all 68 people vote for me. If one person doesn't vote for me, it's not the will of God. The year is 2000, July, Sunday, in Humble Park, Chicago. I'm sitting in the front with my wife Elizabeth, and here's my prayer right within myself. Lord, please give me one person. Please, this one person. Well, they collected the voting, the ballots, and... My father-in-law comes back to the pulpit and he says, Choco, congratulations. You're the new pastor of this church. I looked to my wife and I said, did you vote for me? <laughs> you were the only one who I thought I wasn't going to vote for me. And here I am trying to punk God and, said, I'm gonna, and God said, I'm going to punk you. And so I became the pastor of this church of 68 people in Chicago, Humble Park. And I knew that this gospel could not be within four walls. Because I come from the streets of Chicago. I knew that this gospel needed to be in the streets. Because I believe that God still saves people. Amen. And so I started reaching prostitutes. I started reaching gangbangers. I started reaching drug dealers in the city, in the hood. And the church went from one service to two services to three services to four services. Up to we had 17 services in the weekend. The church just started growing with people that nobody wants. But God loves 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 17, but how can they call on him to save them? Unless they what? Come on, together. Unless they what? Believe, believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never what? Heard about him. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what? Hearing, that is hearing the good news of, about Christ. I want you to notice something, Parkview. I want you to notice all the campuses, the sense of urgency in Romans chapter 10. The sense of urgency. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of chapter 10, in the book of Romans, Paul expresses his deepest desire. The longing, he says, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Now that's a big statement, but where does that come from? It comes from straight from the heart of God. Jesus himself commissioned the Apostle Paul to proclaim salvation to the Gentiles. It was from that moment that Paul was transformed from a persecutor to a proclaimer. From a persecutor to a proclaimer. From a persecutor to a... That's right. Because in Matthew chapter 28, in his final words, Jesus gave us what we call the Great Commission. To go all into the world, go and proclaim. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. Every believer, that's you, that's you, up here, those in the campuses, that's you. Every believer becomes a proclaimer. The word of God that produces faith, that leads to salvation. A saved life. Look at me, church. A saved life. It's a thankful life. Thank you, God, for saving my marriage. Thank you, God, for taking me out of this mess. Thank you, God, for bringing me to this church, God. Thank you, God, that I can hear the word. That's a saved life. It's a thankful life. The heartbeat of God, in my opinion, if you ever want to open heaven's door, it's a grateful heart. That's the key to heaven's door. When you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the rain, that the rain has a purpose. Thank you, God, that I have a church that goes out and reaches children, that I can be involved in ministry. Here's what the Bible says in Psalms 105.1. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has what? Done. Proclaim. We're proclaimers. That's why I'm here in Orland Park. That's why I'm talking to the campuses. It's not like I didn't have anything to do in Chicago. I came here to proclaim. I come here to mess you up. <laughs> I've come here to flip your table. To say, God saved you. Get involved. Do something with your life. Stop trying to preserve it. Jesus said, if you try to preserve your life, you've lost it. But if you lose your life for me, you found it. I remember in 2002, the year is 2002, in Chicago, we're preaching. We're running four services. We're, the, the church is growing and we're reaching prostitutes. And the police officer, the commander came to me in 2002 and said, Reverend Jesus, he said, we have an epidemic of prostitution in our community. We've arrested close to 600 women in nine months. Is there anything your church can do? You know what I said to him? I said, we'll pray for you all. 
Now, how many believe in the power of prayer? Me too. I believe in the power of prayer. But Parkview, there comes a time where prayer must convert to action. <laughs> you didn't say amen because you're like, hmm, that will get me involved. If I say amen, <laughs> I'm just going to shut up right now because. And I remember going home and I told my wife, Elizabeth, who you saw, and I said, babe, they've arrested close to 600 women. That is crazy. I remember going to sleep and woke up the next morning and sensed like the, the Lord said to me, Choker, I want you to buy a farm. And I go to the kitchen and I tell my wife, I said, babe, I think God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing. <laughs> but I know about obedience. So I go to the church. So 68 people. Now it's growing. Now we have services. And I said, church, somebody here has a farm. Give it up. <laughs> come on, babe. My wife was a worship leader. I said, come on, babe. Lead worship. One service passed by. Two, one month passed by. Nobody said anything to me. Two months passed by. I'm thinking, I know I heard God. Church, serious. Somebody here has a farm. Give it up. Give it to the Lord. Come on, baby, lead worship. Three months pass by, four months, five months pass by. Now I'm throwing scriptures at them. Now I'm like, oh, you want scripture? I get you. Rahab, I, I know she's a prostitute, but she wasn't born a prostitute. Something must have happened to this woman. And when God gives you a revelation of the condition of your community, you must respond. Because with revelation comes responsibility. When God reveals to you the condition of this church or of this community, you must respond. Come on, babe, lead worship. Seven months passed by. On the eighth month, on the eighth month, a lady from the church says, Pastor, my uncle, his wife of 42 years, just passed away. They live in Cambridge, Illinois. They have a farm of 15 acres. He said, you want to buy a farm to help women who are caught up in human trafficking, prostitution. I said, we, we do. It's $160,000, 182 miles. That was Sunday. On Monday, I go to the farm. I walked the farm, the 15 acres, and I said to the deacons and my wife, I said, this is the farm that God wants us to buy. And they're like, we should look in Wisconsin. We should look in Michigan. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. No, I didn't say that, but I wanted to. And I said to them, so that you would know that my father is with me. Now, remember, I accepted the Lord at 14. I had no biological father. So he's been my father. And when he speaks, I listen. I said, so will you know that my father is with me? He will send me the money cash to buy this farm. So I go to my closet. I said, Lord, your word says you have a cattle on a thousand hills. Sell the cattle. Send me the money. So the next Sunday, I get this idea. The Lord gives me this idea. I go to the church, and I said, church, here's what's going to happen. It's 182 miles, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to run from the farm, Cambridge, Illinois. I'm going to run from the farm, ride bike, run, ride bike to Chicago. It's going to take me three days. And the church is like, ah, yeah, everybody crazy, ah. And I'm going to run, ride bike, run, run bike. After the service, my wife pulls me over and says, babe, come over here. I want to talk to you. She says, you're not a runner. You're going to die in the first mile. I said, I know. But Jesus said that if I try to preserve my life, I've lost it. But if I lose my life for someone else, I found it. And every two miles of Friday morning, 
Friday morning, the year was around 2002. Friday morning, I took off from Cambridge, Illinois. Ran, rode bike. My kids were there every two miles giving me Gatorade. Come on, Bobby, you can do it. Come on, Bobby, you can run. I'm running for women. I don't even know who they are. But my father loves them. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. It takes me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And there are four things I want to give you here this, this uh, morning regarding serving. John chapter 4 gives us the story about a woman who's lost. And Jesus said to his disciples, and I'm paraphrasing, he says to his disciple, I must go through Samaria. I must. Listen to the sense of urgency. I must go through Samaria. I said, I must go through Parkview. I must go mess up some people. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. By the way, if you don't know, Jews would never go through Samaria in the first century. They would prefer to walk 20 miles the opposite direction, but they would never go through Samaria. But Jesus, the living water, said, I must go through Samaria. And he goes to the well, and there's a woman, the Bible says, that comes at noonday. By the way, women in the first century would come at 6 in the morning. They would never come at 12 in the afternoon when it is the hottest part of the day. But she comes by herself because of her lifestyle. And perhaps the women of that group, maybe they don't have her part of the book club. Maybe she's not part of the Facebook fan, whatever. They don't like her. So she comes at 12 and she thinks to herself, no one is there. But Jesus is there because he has a sense of urgency. Someone is thirsty. And can I tell you, Parkview, America is thirsty for the truth. What, what the world needs is a fearless church. Fearless church. And Jesus says to the woman, woman, give me something to drink. And the woman says, you're a man, I'm a woman. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We shouldn't even be talking. Da, 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 da. And Jesus is like, oh, for the love of God, I just wanted a cup of water. But since you want to go that route, let's talk. And Jesus said, woman, if you only knew who's asking you for water, I would give you water and you would never have to come to this well again. And you know what she said? She says, give me the water. I'm thirsty. And Jesus said, go get your husband. She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're sleeping with is not your husband. He's giving her water. You and I know that water cleanses. She was thinking physical water. He was giving her spiritual water. And she was drinking this water. How would they know? How can they hear if no one tells them? He said, I must go through Samaria. I must go through Samaria. I remember one time in Chicago where I sent one of our pastors, one of our female pastors, and I said, I want you to go and give me five prostitutes. She says, what? I said, go give me, hire me five prostitutes. She said, Pastor Choco. I said, go. She goes and comes back two and a half hours later, and she comes her car with five women, African-American, Hispanic, mini skirts, all drugged up. She gets out of her car. The five women get out of her car. And she comes to me and she says, um, Pastor Choco, the tall one, she's going to charge you $50 an hour. The small one says she'll charge you $35 an hour. Total for all five women was $220. I said, no problem. Took out my wallet. Boom, boom, boom. 
And when I gave him all the money, one of the ladies, one of the prostitutes says, uh, what do you want us to do? I said, I want you to follow me. And I know this is being looked at at Facebook and whatnot. My wife is with me this whole time in case people start making false, fake news. I said, I want you to follow me. And I took the five women into the church and there was a table with candles and roses. And one by one, I pulled out the chair and I said, now sit. I have you for one hour. I'm going to tell you about a man named Jesus who loves you. And he's in the business of changing people's hearts. One by one, I pulled them out. And for one hour, my wife led worship. The young people did some drama and, and they did some dramas. And I preached for like seven minutes. And when my time was up, I said, ladies, my hour is up. The women stood up crying profusely. They said, preacher, no man has ever treated us this way. We don't want your money. Since time, that time and the time we opened the farm, we have rescued over 642 women to the glory of God. How would they know? How would they hear? How would they know unless you don't get engaged and be a part of the bigger church? Bigger church. I remember what the lady said and the guy in the elevator told me. I became the pastor of the church and year 2013 now, my chief of staff runs into my office and says, Pastor Choco, Pastor Choco, you have been nominated time 100 most influential people in the world. I said, what? She said, Time Magazine. Time Magazine has just nominated you time 100 most influential people. I'm like, who are the other 99? I mean, first of all, you need to know here, Parkview, I'm not even a subscriber of Time Magazine. She says, it's big. This is big. I remember going to the Time Magazine dinner in New York. Christina Aguilera, Vice President Joe Biden, all these other celebrities, and Choco and Elizabeth. And we were going through the red carpet, and there were people, cameras. And Elizabeth and I walking like, so, like fish out of water. I'm like, what? What are we doing here? Smiling. Get in the elevator. A couple comes in to the elevator. A husband and wife, they come in. The door is closed. He turns towards Elizabeth and I and said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church in Chicago. I said, what do you do? He says, I'm a neurosurgeon. Cool. The door is open. He leaves. My wife slaps me in my head. She says, that's Dr. Oz. You don't know Dr. Oz? Moses, Peter, Paul. And there I am at this dinner in New York, and I remember what the lady said. I remember what the guy said in the elevator. If I would just be obedient and walk in the path of God, that God himself will set the pace for me. Go with me. The Bible says that this woman, if we're going to serve here at Parkview, we must be intentional, number one. We must be intentional. We have to have intentionality. And that's where these five women, once you find the need in Orland Park, once you find the need in your community at Homer Glen, once you find the need, you must fill the gap. Serving must be accurate. We must be truthful. We must share the love of Christ. Half truth is no truth. We must share the good news that Jesus saves and that he's not dead. Amen. Serving must be transformational. 
the woman came and the Bible says that when the woman heard Jesus and he, she started drinking that spiritual water that she ran to the town. She was so transformed. There was a metamorphosis that occurred in her life that she goes back to the town and says, hey, you need to come with me. I know you guys don't like me because of my lifestyle, but there's a guy by the well who has changed my life. And when you start serving, it's transformational. Lastly, serving must be contagious. When you serve, your children serve. They see you serving as an usher, a parking ministry, kids ministry. They get involved. My three kids, who you just saw in the picture, all involved in ministry. As I'm here with you today, they're serving in different capacities in the local church. Where did they learn that from? From their mother and their father who said, I'll do it. I don't need to understand anything. There's nothing to pray about. Praise God that the Lord reminded me of this woman. The year now is 2018. And I was in Lakeland, Florida. And I was about to get confirmed for my doctorate in Lakeland, Florida last year in December. It took me four years to get my doctorate. In my second year, a university calls me and says, Pastor Choco, our university is going to give you an honorary doctorate. I hung up the phone. I said, babe, the university is going to give me an honorary doctorate. I don't need to do these other two years. My wife, being like the Holy Spirit, said, babe, some doctorates are earned. Others are given. Which one do you want? And I went on to say, get behind me, Satan. I didn't say that, but I wanted to say that. I finished my last two years, and on December last year, I was being confirmed with my EDD, Doctor in Education. And then as I was being confirmed, I remember what the lady said. And the guy said, that with God, there's no limits. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Mind cannot conceive what God has in store for you. If God can take this Puerto Rican kid with a dysfunctional family, failed third grade, couldn't read and write, how much more can he do for you if you walk in obedience and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Yes, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning for a moment? Let me pray for you. This woman in John 4, she just went out there and started becoming a proclaimer. Proclaimer. And I want to encourage you, Parkview, here this morning, we're within this campaign of Team Parkview. We want to encourage you to get involved. God doesn't save you and I. Can you imagine if I got saved at 14 and just sat in my church? There would be no dream center. There'd be no farm. There'd be no shelter. We have a teen center that has five boys that their parents turned them over to us because they're out of control. And that the church is the legal guardian. And some of those kids have graduated from high school. Great, great citizens. What are you going to do? You've got a lot of life left. Say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Whatever the church needs me to do, I don't need to pray about it. I just learned from Pastor Joko, I'll do puppets. I'll be a clown. I'll do whatever it takes. Would you bow your heads? Let me pray for you, those that are here. For those from Homer Glen and New Lenox, would you stand as well? Let me pray for you all. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We say thank you. 
Come on, church, say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. May you compel us to move into more because you have so much more for us. Teach us to stand in that gap, to be a part of this great church here we call Parkview. I pray for blessings upon this church and upon our pastor. May the blessings of the Father, the blessings of the Son, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit be with you all in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, God bless you all.